Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat, and we'll get started here. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for having me tonight. This is really an honor for me to be here. I've only... I've been to Salt Company Ames a lot because that's where I live and work. Um, I've only been to one other Salt Company, so this is the third one I've ever been to. This is really exciting for me. Hey, if you got a Bible, can you open up to Psalm chapter 1, first chapter of the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms. That's where we're going to be tonight. While you're turning there, you may or may not know this. You guys have an awesome staff team here. Um, I've met all of them. Incredible. Also led by the goat, Stephen Jones. Um, just a, you guys want some Stephen Jones stories? Sure. Okay, we'll do it. So my first memory of Stephen is actually riding in a car with him and him telling me how great Iowa is, as a true Iowan should, you know? And at, the, at that point, it was like dark and like 15 degrees and super windy and just flat everywhere. And I'm from like mountainous Oregon where there's like waterfalls everywhere and you're like not too far from the ocean. And uh, yeah, so he's trying to convince me that Iowa's great and I'm like... Huh, yeah, but it is great, right? Who, who here loves Iowa? I, I first for a West Coast kid, like I love Iowa, huge fan of Iowa. I tell all my Oregon friends about it, but they don't believe me, but it's true. My favorite memory of Steven is actually uh, him chugging a gallon of milk in front, I have video evidence of this, we could look at it later if you come talk to me. Um, it was after our freshman kickoff, he chugged a gallon of milk in front of all of our staff team. He was standing on top of a table, as one would, and just instantly starts throwing it up out his nostrils and everything. It was incredible. We were all just dying, and I'm like, are you okay? Why did you do that? Um, but on a more serious note, uh, in one of our staff discipleship times together, I remember us going around in a circle and describing each other with one word. And I can't remember the word he used for me, but the word I used for him was Jesus, which I know could go too far. So don't take that too far. Don't take that in a weird way. But Je uh, Stephen is one of the most Jesus-y people that I know. So you guys are lucky to have him around. Um, so Psalm chapter one is where we're gonna be tonight. And so I got a question for you. You know how some things just like go well together and then some don't? Like some things, they just go really well together, like peanut butter and jelly, specifically crunchy peanut butter and jelly. Just to play my cards there. I knew that'd be divisive, but I had to say it. Less divisive, bacon and eggs. It's just, it goes well together. Pro tip, cook the eggs in the bacon grease. Anybody do that? That's great, yeah, and pancakes too, if you got time. Another great thing that goes together, uh, bread and butter, you know, it's like they're meant for each other. Like at restaurants, when they give bread and butter, it's like, you might as well not bring my meal because I'm going to be full by the time my meal even comes because I ate so much bread and butter. Pop-tarts and ice cream, and I'm willing to defend this. I call it poor man's pie a la mode. You just, you warm up the Pop-tarts in a microwave for like 17 seconds and then ice cream on it, and it kind of tastes like pie with ice cream. So try it. You'll love it. French fries and Frosties, anybody? Yeah, that's classic, classic. So those are some good food things that go together, but then even there's some people things that go together or characters, you know, Timon and Pumbaa, great combo. 
Uh, Romeo and Juliet, maybe, kind of dramatic, kind of tragic. I don't know, it's weird. It's a hard story to understand, to be honest. Shakespeare, jeez. Mario and Luigi, I mean, Beyonce, Jay-Z, there's just a lot of people who just go well together. Things that don't go well together, because you know, some things go well, some things don't. I mean, there's the classic, like oil and water. It just, it doesn't, doesn't do good for whatever reason. Fast food and CrossFit, I found, isn't usually the win. I've never done CrossFit actually, but a lot of fast food. Uh, TikTok and good grades seem to like clash. Just seems like they clash. I don't know, that's my opinion. Crocs and fashion, it just, I don't know. Just kidding, look, look, look. Crocs, Crocs get such a bad rap. I'm serious, that's just a joke. If you're wearing Crocs, I love you. I'm a big fan of Crocs, I don't own any, but big fan. They get so much hate. Like, what? why do people hate Crocs so bad? Like, they're not, they're not that bad. Anyway, I just had to say that though. So why am I talking about Pop-Tarts, Luigi, and TikTok? Good, good question. Because that's not what we're gonna talk about all night. I wanna talk about those things because we know this as a culture and as people, we know that some things go well together and some things don't. And I think one of the biggest errors, if not the biggest error that we can make as people who want to follow God is that we separate things, specifically two things, that need to be kept together. That is the Bible and happiness. We think of those things as very different from each other, different ends of the spectrum. We think the joy-filled life and the Bible-filled life, that's like oil and water, but God says, no, that's actually more like bread and butter. They go together. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is teaching on the topic of marriage, but he tells a principle that's true for more than just marriage. He says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Don't separate what God has brought together. And in Psalm chapter one, the first word of the first verse of the first chapter of the longest book in the Bible, which the Bible happens to be the most printed and purchased Bible, a book of all time. The very first word is what? Happy. Depending on your translation, I might say blessed, but whatever. Happy, happy. Don't, here's my goal for tonight. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Don't separate what God has brought together. God has brought together as one thing, the happy life, the blessed life, and the joy-filled, and the, and the Bible-filled life. The Bible-filled life and the blessed life. God says that's the same. But many of us, have separated those things. What God has joined together, do not separate. You know, blessing, the, the word there, and, and if you're in like the ESV, it says blessed. If you're in the CSV, it says happy. It's the same word, it, it means happy. And I think so many of us, we over-spiritualize the word blessing, we under-spiritualize the word happy, but really in the Bible, it's the same idea. It's that kind of soul deep satisfaction that God wants for you. There, you know, there's something about you that you might not know, but God knows because he made you. And here's that thing, is that those things gotta come together. Bible-filled life is the joy-filled right, life. So right out of the gate, the book of Psalms starts with the word happy. You might think that this chapter, Psalm chapter one, is about the Bible. And it kind of is, because it's in the Bible and it references the Bible, but really Psalm chapter one is about your happiness that God wants you to be blessed. 
This idea of blessing is all throughout scripture. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, God blessed the people he made. The very last chapter, the blessing that comes from God for all of eternity. Blessing is all over scripture and it's right here. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. And so we're gonna talk about how to become a Psalm 1 kind of person. How to become a happy in God kind of person. I also want you to know this before we even get into it. I want you to know that reading your Bible is not about getting God happy with you. If, that, if that's how you're coming in right now, let's fix that. It's not about God getting happy with you. If you are in Christ, God is already fully happy with you. Reading the Bible isn't about getting God happy with you. It's about getting you happy in God. Happy in his grace and his mercy and his love. Learning to be satisfied in who he is for you. So here's how the first three verses of Psalm chapter one goes. It says, how happy or blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I'm gonna stop right there for a minute. Here's what I wanna do. For the next about seven minutes, I wanna draw your attention to seven words that we just read. Seven important words that I think are important to understand these first three verses of this very important chapter in this very important book. So here's the first word I want you to notice. I already talked about the word happy, it means, or, or blessing. Where do you talk about that? So look at the word at the end of the first line there. It says, happy is the one who does not. That's the first word I want you to see, not. And here's what I mean by this. So we're gonna talk about, you know, reading your Bible and intaking your Bible, but I want you to see something first. That having a healthy spiritual diet isn't just about what you take in, but also what you refuse. I mean, we know this is true for a normal diet, right? Like if you wake up and you eat breakfast is banana and whole wheat toast, boring. For lunch, you have carrots and apples. For dinner, it's baked fish and broccoli. And then at midnight, you pound a dozen donuts and six pieces of Casey's pizza in a Diet Coke. You know you just ruined your diet. You know that, right? Because yeah, because a diet isn't just about what you consume, it's also about what you refuse. Same is true for your spiritual diet. We're gonna talk about reading the Bible, but I want you to know it's not just about what you consume, it's also about what you refuse. So if you're fasting and praying all day and reading your Bible and journaling and doing all the right stuff, and then you binge on the whole season two of Tiger King at midnight, you're not gonna feel so good in the morning. You're just not. If, you're, if we're consistently letting voices of error in, which is what someone is talking about, we're not gonna feel so good. In the same way that you wouldn't feel so good if you had a dozen donuts after a great day of dieting. So I want you to see that word not, that you are becoming what you're consuming. What you're consuming is what you're becoming. That's true on a very physical level. I remember my high school track coach used to tell us, you are what you eat. You ever heard that? You are what you eat which is kind of a scary thing if all you're eating is like dum-dums and airheads. I'm like, wait, I am what I eat? Oh no, okay? You are what you eat. Yeah, that's true on a very physical level. It's also true on a spiritual level. What you're consuming, what you're letting in is what you're becoming. It's what you're thinking about. 
So if you want the blessing of verse one, and I know you do, this is my first time here. I've met like six of you. I don't know you, but here's what I do know about you. I know you want and you need that blessed life, that happy in Jesus kind of life. And if you want that, you have to learn not just what to consume, but also what to refuse. I'm not saying you can never watch Tiger King, okay? All the Tiger King fans are like, oh man. It's, it's like, you just gotta do things in moderation, all right? Like if you get 30 minutes of Bible per week, God gets 30 minutes a week, but like social and Netflix and everything else gets 30 hours. I want you to know you are being discipled. You are being shaped. It's an interesting question. Sometimes we think, I, I've asked the question before, or I've been asked the question, hey, are you being discipled by anybody? And it's like, of course. Everybody is always being discipled by someone and something, and because there are always voices that are shaping you, shaping the way you think about you, the way you think about God. Are you being discipled? That doesn't just mean, are you sitting down and reading the Bible with somebody at Starbucks? No, you're all being discipled, but by who? And if it's 30 hours here and only 30 minutes here, somebody's getting a lot more time. A 30-minute sermon won't teach us to love our neighbors if our Twitter feed is constantly telling us to hate them. We're, we're already been discipled. If your Instagram feed is telling you all week that you aren't good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, cool enough, happy enough, if that's what you're hearing 30 hours a week, then a 10-minute, five-minute-a-day time in the Bible isn't going to be loud enough. When you hear God's approval of you and love for you and purpose for you, it's just, it's not gonna be loud enough. It's gonna fall on deaf ears because why? Because you've already been discipled. So that's the first word I want you to notice, not. What you're consuming is what you're becoming. So it's not just about what you're taking in, it's also about what you're refusing. Here's another word I want you to see. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked? Walking in the vice of the wicked. Now I want you to know this, like when you have wicked advice in your life, it often doesn't come to you with like a teacher t-shirt that says, watch out, this is wicked advice, okay? It's often subtle and requires a lot of discernment. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he was a British preacher back in the 1800s in London. He used to say, wisdom isn't just knowing the difference between right and wrong. Wisdom is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Sometimes, Wicked counsel can come from really good people. Sometimes wicked counsel can sound good, but it's not actually from God. Sometimes it's the loving parent who tells you, the loving parent who truly loves you and tells you, you should sleep around so you can find sexual chemistry. Sometimes it's the non-Christian counselor who tells you to get rid of all the negative people in your life. But as a Christian, you can't, do that. Maybe it's the self-help author who subtly but consistently tells you that your self-worth is really actually connected to your net worth. Sometimes wicked discernment doesn't come to us telling us it's wicked. It, it's subtle and it requires discernment. But blessed is the man or the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. There's another word I want you to see. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. So delight, that's the third word I want you to see. Delight, 
Here's how I've always understood this word delight. Delight is something that if you're willing to waste time doing it, you delight in that thing. You know, hot shower on a cold day, hanging out with your new crush, putting up Christmas lights. That's what it was for me last weekend. I was just having so much fun. I work with my mind, so I like to rest with my hands. I don't know if you ever heard that concept before, but work with my mind a lot. So rest with, it was great. I was just totally geeking out, trying to get it all just right. And I feel like I got like a B plus job. It wasn't great, but I delighted in that. I was willing to waste time doing it. So here's what I'm saying. You should be willing to waste time in God's word. Don't quote that because that kind of sounded bad. But you should be willing to sit. There's no such thing as wasting time in God's word. That's my point. God is looking for people who delight in his word. That's where the blessing is. That's where the happiness, the soul level happiness in God comes from. People who are willing to wait on God and hear him and hear what he has to say about them. So when's the last time you've wasted time with God? Are you willing to waste time with God? Willing to just sit there? We waste time in a lot of ways. Why not waste time with your Bible open thinking about what God says about you? What he wants for your life? What he sees in your future? To me, that sounds like a great way to waste some time. At the foot of the cross, listening to the word of God whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. That's the fourth word, meditate. Let's stop on that word for a second. A couple of things I want you to know about the word meditate. When we think meditate, you might think like eyes closed, silence, internal thinking. That might be what you think when you hear the word meditate. Actually in the Bible, this word can also be translated as murmur or mutter. It has to do with actually verbalizing it. Here's how this went down back in the day, okay? Not everybody had Bibles. Many of you have Bibles in your laps or on your phones. They didn't, people didn't have that. There was like a scroll in the synagogue and you got to hear it once a week and you would listen really clearly. Why? So that when you leave, left there, you could meditate on it. You could murmur it. You could talk it out. So they would try to hear it and memorize it and talk it out while they were walking home and throughout the week and with their children. That's what it means to meditate on it. It doesn't just, just, it doesn't just mean you and Jesus just being quiet. It means talking about it. Reciting the words of God that your soul needs to hear. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. Meditate on that. Mutter that throughout your day and see what that does to your soul. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. They're, they're the ones that God looks at and gives mercy to. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Meditating on the word of God means talking it out to yourself, applying it to yourself. Something else I want to say about the, the word meditation. So it means talking out, but he, here's an illustration that I was told that kind of makes sense of it. Now, I didn't grow up on a dairy farm, so some of you dairy farmers can help me with this, but basically like when cows eat, they do this thing called chewing the cud. I've never seen it. Maybe some of you have never experienced that, but they like, kind of like chew it, get some nutrients out, swallow it, bring it back up, kind of gross, chew some more, take a nap, Wake up, chew some more, swallow, bring it back. Like that's the process. They get as much nutrients out of it as they can. And so here's my point. You should do that with the Bible. And like take naps in the middle too, you know, do the whole thing. Be just like a, you should read your Bible like a cow. That's what you should do. Write that down. Read your Bible like a cow. Chew the cut. What I'm saying is we don't want to be people who just hear the word and then walk away. 
or just even just to treat it like sunflower seeds where you chew it for a couple minutes and spit out the stuff you don't like and then you're done. No, it's like you, you chew on it, you keep going, you're thinking about what else does God have for me in this? How can I continue to apply this to my life and believe this? Meditates. Here's word number five I want you to see. It says, they are like a tree planted by streams of water. So tree. Interesting that the blessed life here is compared to a tree, not a firework. Okay, fireworks are like cool for like five seconds and then it's trash, dirt, you gotta pick up, okay? The blessed life is not compared to a firework that's like fun and colorful. It's compared to a tree that's slow growth, kind of boring, going through the motions, but growing very strong, hard to take down. The blessed life is compared to a tree. You know, I'm convinced that one of the most spiritually mature things that you can do is to go through the motions. Sometimes, actually oftentimes, walking with Christ feels like going through the motions. And that's okay. It's one of the most spiritually mature things you can do because trees aren't flashy. People go to firework shows, who goes to a tree show? Let's go watch trees grow. No, why? It's boring. Very mundane. Sometimes the growth of your walk with Christ will feel slow. But I want you to know, even though it's slow, it's strong. It's strong as you continue to come to him and read his word and chew on it and swallow it and bring it back up. It's slow, but it's strong like a tree. You know, there's another couple words here I want you to see. Number six is the word fruit who produces fruit in season. I wanna say something about this word fruit because I think in the 21st century, we might think, I mean, I don't know what you think of when you think of fruit. I think of like optional dessert and like, I like pineapple with fajitas. That's what I think of when I hear the word fruit. But for them, they didn't hear it like a garnish or like a dessert. For many people in this day, fruit was like, man, in certain seasons, that was like your lifeline. That was like your sustenance. That was like sometimes the only thing, or maybe it's like the second thing you had. You had one other kind of food and that. The fruit would often grow at different times than other food. It would often last longer than some other food. So the fruit here, it isn't just like an optional garnish kind of thing. This was a lifeline for people. So here's what I want you to hear from that, that you're a tree growing fruit, and that fruit might be someone else's lifeline. That might be what someone else needs, not just a dessert, not just something extra. It means something that someone really needs. Your life matters. Here's the thing about the blessed life. Blessed life isn't just about you. Every single one of you has a network of people around you that you are also called to bless, to produce fruit for. The New Testament tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, I, this is another time where I don't need to know you to know this. The people in your life need that from you. They need that from you. Not just optional, not just dessert, not just a garnish. There might be people that God has placed in your life who are kind of on the edge. Like they're running out of steam. They're running out of hope. They're running out of love. And God put you in their life to produce fruit in their life. But you can only do that if you are connected to the source, the stream of the word of God. So we are called to produce fruit, not just for ourselves, but so that we could be a blessing to others. 
Here's the last word, the seventh word I want you to see. It's the word season. Produces fruit in and out of season. Leaf does not wither. Trees have seasons. You know, to, to have a, a blessed life, a life where you walk with Christ, that doesn't mean that you have no seasons. It means that no season will destroy you. You might have a super hot summer, uncomfortable, super cold winter. You for sure will have a super literal cold winter this winter, promise it. You will have hard seasons. Walking with Jesus and living a blessed life doesn't mean you don't have seasons. It means you have the strength to endure whatever season God puts in front of you. That's part of the blessed life. I think sometimes we think blessed life, no problems. Nope, literally that's not what it's talking about. Someone even introduces this idea of there will be seasons. There will be pain. There will be breakups and failed midterms and debt that you're not sure how you're going to pray and depression and anxiety and stress and sickness and loneliness. And those things will not destroy you. Those are seasons, but you're a tree whose leaf does not wither and which produces fruit in all seasons. So those are the seven words I want to draw your attention to to begin to understand what, what's really happening in these first three verses. There's a lot of image words there that are important to understand the overall flow of what's happening. So here's what I want to do right now. I want to stop for a minute and give you three really practical ways, like super practical, to become a Psalm 1 kind of person. I want for you to get Psalm 1 happy. I want it like in your bones. Like I want that to be who you are, that you are that kind of happy, the kind of happiness that endures through seasons. Real kind of blessing. So here's one super practical way that you can become a Psalm 1 person. You can memorize Psalm 1. Six verses. You can do it. Here's what's going to happen if you, if you take my challenge and memorize it. You'll memorize Psalm 1 and you'll realize that was actually a little easier than you thought. And then maybe you'll memorize Psalm 19 next week. Then maybe you'll get to Psalm 23 because you probably have a lot of it already in your head anyway. And you'll keep going and you'll realize that getting God's word in your heart actually brings blessing to you. It brings happiness because it brings, brings clarity about who God is for you and who he is. I'll tell you more about my story in just a few minutes, but I want to say this real quick right now. And if you were to ask me, the single most significant thing that I did in college, I would tell you that it was memorizing scripture. I played football, I got good grades, I got a great internship and a job, I had great friends, I learned how to pay my own bills, I got my car stolen once, my bike stolen five times. A lot of things happened in college, guys. But more significant than all of those, by far, like it's not close. Memorizing scripture. God can get a hold of your life and your heart in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he uses a person or a sermon or a discipleship relationship, or maybe it's a season of trial and suffering. God can get a hold of you in a number of different ways. I'm just telling you how he got a hold of me. How he got a hold of my heart and changed it was when I began to write his word on my heart. That's how I changed. More on that in just a minute, but I want you to remember in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the desert and he's been fasting and he's being tempted by the devil and he quotes scripture, which means he had memorized it, 
which means for us, how is it that the Son of God felt like he needed to know, he needed to know the Word of God like so well, so well that he memorized it, like obscure verses too. He needs to know it inside and out in order to face temptation. What makes us think that we just can be okay with a vague familiarity with the Word of God? You should memorize the Word. You should read it, yeah. You should meditate on it, yeah. And actually, I really think you should memorize some of it. Not all of it, unless you really want to, go for it. But you should memorize some of it. Memorize the verses that you hear that, that speak to your soul. Write it down and memorize it. But start with Psalm chapter one. So that's one really practical way to become a Psalm one happy kind of person, memorize someone. Here's the second way. Second way is to speak the Bible out loud every morning and evening. I think there's a really common practice that's great. You know, people, we talk about like reading our Bibles in the morning and that's great. I do that, you should do it too, it's great. I think you also should not just read it, but also speak it. Remember, meditate isn't just a me and Jesus internally kind of thing. It's actually external. It's something that comes out. You could literally say it or even just writing it or typing it, something to get it out, not just in. And also not just in the morning, but also in the evening. I try to make it a practice to let the voice of God be the first and the last voice that I hear every day. And that's something that I would want for you too, to get your soul happy in God. So memorize Psalm chapter one, speak the Bible out loud every morning, evening. Here's number three, really practical thing to do. Turn off the loudest mocker in your life. Okay, so remember what it says. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. So you might have to do a little bit of heart work here and ask yourself, who, who or what is the mocker in your life? What's the thing in your life that is causing you to doubt God? It sucks your joy from Jesus. It causes jealousy, bitterness, resentment. It might be a person that you need to create some sort of boundary with. At least I can't talk about this topic with that person because it goes to bad places. It might be an app you need to delete for a period of time. It might be a movie or a series you need to stop. Something, all of us have a mocker in our life. Some source of information and guidance, something that's shaping us, but not in a godly way. Turn it off. Turn it off. Even if they just turn it off for the month of December, just turn it off and see what's happened. See what happens, see what God does with the happiness in your soul and the happiness in your life. So those are the three really practical things I want you to do. So there's this box sitting up here with me. And if you can see it, maybe you've been wondering why it's here. I'm about to tell you, it's full of Bibles, which first of all, the fact that I have a box full of Bibles says a lot about just the privilege that a lot of us have in our day and age to have so many Bibles. But I wanna tell a little bit of my personal story through the Bibles that I've owned throughout the years. So just bear with me for a second. Here's the first one I wanna get. It is the old school Holy Bible. I was given this when I was in, uh, I was graduating the second grade Sunday school at church. It says, presented to Solomon Rexius by First Baptist Church, Eugene, Oregon, September 12th, 1993. Who was alive in 1993? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Okay. I see you, dog. Got like two people. This is great. See, I hit a weird age, you guys, this year. I hit this age of 36 which means as a college pastor, it's a weird age because I'm exactly twice the age of the incoming freshman, which means as I was like leaving high school, you were like leaving your mother's body. <clears throat> I probably could have said that in a 
better way. So this Bible is precious to me because it reminds me of where I came from, that I have a spiritual ancestry that's solid. Like I have Psalm 1 people in my family tree, that my parents saw it important to bring me to church. My grandpa on my dad's side was a Pentecostal preacher. My grandma on my mom's side was one of those old ladies who like took prayer requests and actually did them. Do you know anybody like that? They're rare, but they're awesome. One of those old saints who actually prayed for people. So I have a strong spiritual ancestry in my life. And this Bible reminds me of that. That God blessed me with Psalm 1 parents and Psalm 1 grandparents and a Psalm 1 family. There's another Bible here. It actually has my name on it, Saul Rexius, but that's because uh, this was actually my great grandpa's name, Saul Rexius. So I got this Bible given to me when I was in eighth grade, when my great grandma died and we were going through her stuff. And so I got to receive my great grandpa's Bible. What's significant about this Bible is this is the Bible I used through high school as a good luck charm. So like night before a football game, you know I'm reading the Bible because I want to be, you know, encounter Jesus. No, because I want to score a touchdown the next night. That's for sure why I was reading it. I had this vending machine view of God. Like, man, if I, if I read this, you know, I get the touchdown, go on a mission trip, get the cute girlfriend, like pray, get the good grade. That's how I thought of God, that he was a vending machine kind of thing. Put this in, get something out. And so this Bible reminds me that A, God is not a vending machine, but B, he is kind and gracious to people who think he's a vending machine and he's patient with them to teach him that he's not that. So that's what this Bible reminds me of. There's another Bible here. It's my mom's old Bible and it kind of looked like Looks like an old woman's purse. It's got like the button on and everything. I'm not hating on the old woman's purse. This is what it looks like. So this is the Bible that I, I talked about memorizing scripture in college. This was the Bible that I primarily used for that. So it's super small to read. So kind of annoying to read actually. So I just started memorizing it instead. I didn't have to look at it as much. I just think about it. So I had this job. I was a lifeguard and it started in May and there were, it was just rainy and I didn't have anything to do. And for some reason, I don't know if any of you guys have been a lifeguard before, that was like the easiest job, 100% for sure. Plus my best friend was the manager. So he gave me like the easiest shifts. I swear, I'd work for like 20 minutes. I'd be off for 40 minutes, just reading my Bible, memorizing scripture. I don't know, that's, that's how I spent the summer of 2005. But that summer changed me. I was going through a spiritual storm, trying to figure out who I was, so many things. But God used that summer and this Bible to radically change the direction of my life. I thought I was gonna be an accountant and then a business owner and then make a ton of money. And then he's like, actually, no, nah, you're gonna be a pastor. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> that's how I felt at the moment. I'm happy now, guys. Don't, I'm happy to be this now. But So that's what this Bible reminds me of, the summer that God changed my life and began to lead me to be a pastor. It was also the same summer that I began sensing uh, that I should also go to Bible school or seminary school. And so here are my Greek and Hebrew Bibles, Hebrew and Greek. These are Bibles I used to be able to read, but can't anymore. So that's the, that's the moral of the story on those ones. <laughs> I can still read some of it, but just not very much. This is my favorite Bible. And I got the cool Christian kid, like blue, you know, cover which I love actually. I mean, I'm kind of mocking it, but kind of love it at the same time. There's several things I love about this Bible. First one is the blue cover. 
Second is it was the cheapest Bible I have. It was like 75 cents at a Goodwill. And I'm opening this up because on the front it says, it's got a name engraved on it, not mine. It's Erna B. Harrison. God bless her soul. I'm sure she's dead by now. I don't know. I'm just, it's just, yeah, it says, it, January 1st, 1982, it says, for mom, with all our love from Linda, Jerry, and Terry, it looks like. So thank you, Linda, Jerry, and Terry, because this is literally my favorite Bible. So what, I like it because it's hardback. I like the hardback. It's a single column, big fantasy. I'm going to geek out for just a second. Single column, which I love. It's kind of like off-white pages, not white, which is a little easier on the eyes, you know. And it's the NIV 84, which is my favorite translation. So a lot of things I love about this Bible. This is the Bible that I use for when I read in the morning. This is the Bible that I use. So it's my, been my most used Bible for, for years now. This is how I spend time with God, morning and evening. This is it. And there's actually a Bible that's not in here because I actually, I, I went on a mission trip to Singapore, like four flights to get there, jet lagged, and... Right when I got off the flight, I realized I left my Bible there, which also had all my spending money for the whole summer, uh, mission trip summer. So 500 bucks was in the Bible. Somebody really scored. They got the word of God and 500 bucks. Like <laughs> I came back like 20 minutes later, like, no, we can't find it. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'm sure you can't find that huge Bible with 500 bucks in it. Here's the last one. This is the Bible that I've been using for years now to teach college students the Bible. And this one is special for me for a number of different reasons. It was actually purchased for me by college students. Um, on the front, it says Bible Boy, which is a long story that I'll share quickly right now. <laughs> My wife and I met in Jerusalem, oddly enough, True story. She's from Alabama. I'm from Oregon. Met in Jerusalem. Got married a year later. Magical. I know. There are non-magical parts of the story that I'll leave out for now. Um, and on that trip, every time we'd go to a new, like, ancient stop, I'd be the one with Bible open, like, reading the story, and then she'd be the one with the map. And so our nicknames for each other is Map Girl and Bible Boy. Okay? So kind of cute. I heard a couple ons. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know. So it, some of these college guys heard me tell that story, and so they engraved Bible Boy on my Bible. But this is the Bible that I've been using now for years to teach students like you about the God who has changed my life and made me happy. And I want that for you. And my hope is tonight that maybe God could use someone like me to change someone like you through the beauty of his written word. That if we, as we've talked about the Bible, maybe God has sparked something in you to discover this book for yourself, to think about what God might be saying to you tonight. So many of us underestimate what God can do in 10 years of Bible reading. We overestimate what can happen in a year, you know, fly through it like, ah, oh, man, I don't feel that different. But we underestimate what he can do in 10 years. And I've been teaching the Bible now for over 10 years to students like you been able to watch God change people's lives, including my own. So those are the stories behind my Bibles. My question for you, though, is what's going to be the story behind your Bible? Like, I'm, I know a lot of you have a Bible at home. Maybe not all of you. If you don't, talk to Stephen or Laura or somebody. They'll figure it out. 
<laughs> I didn't check with him on that, but they'll figure it out. What's gonna be the story of your Bible? There might be a Bible sitting on your bookshelf right now. And I just wonder if the story of that Bible is gonna be bookshelf Bible or like in your heart, change your life Bible. Because I want it to be the second one. I want God to, to do to you what he did to me 16 years ago when I was a sophomore in college and my life got turned crazy because of the Bible. I want that for you. And I think it'd be a tragedy for us to have so many Bibles around us and in our pockets, on our phones, to have a Bible all around us, but no Bible in us. To have the word on our shelves, but not in our hearts would be a tragedy. God doesn't love us more if we're Bible rock stars and he doesn't love us less if we're Bible idiots. Okay, because the purpose, remember, the purpose of Bible study isn't to make God happy with you, but to make you happy in God. I want you to read these last three verses of Psalm chapter one with me. The first three are all about the word, but then the tone changes a little bit at the end here. It says, for the wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Those are scary verses. Like if the Bible story ended there, we'd be in trouble. So praise God that the story of the Bible doesn't end with Psalm chapter 1 that there is no way for sinners to stand in the assembly of the righteous. That's actually not the end of the story. It's kind of just the start of the story because the rest of the story goes on to tell us about a Messiah who's gonna come and be with us. God in human form, Emmanuel, we're about to celebrate that this month, that Jesus would come and reverse all of these things. You know, yeah, it's true that sinners can't stand in the assembly of the righteous, except because of the cross they can. Because when Jesus, the one righteous one, came and stood in the place of the sinners, he made a way for the sinners to get in. It says the way of the wicked leads to ruin, except when the wicked recognize their own wickedness and say, Jesus, save me. Save me. Don't let me head into ruin. Bring me into your family. I repent. I trust you. I'm not saying these verses aren't true. They're true. It's just that when Jesus came, he reversed them for those who would trust in him. So would you trust in him tonight? Would he become your greatest source of happiness and pleasure? He's the one who can turn chaff into trees and shame into mercy. And he can make sinners into righteous people. On the cross, he paid for your sin. And through his resurrection, he proved that he can take all the dead and broken things in your life and make them into something beautiful. So let's pray and ask God that he would use his word to do that in us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for reversing the curse, for making a way for sinners to get in. That even for those here tonight who don't feel like a strong tree, that through your grace, you'd make us strong. Those who, of us who feel like chaff, that the wind is blown away, that you would root us in your word. I've heard it said that the mark of a godly man is that he loves the intrusion of God into his life. So Lord, 
intrude on our lives tonight. We invite you to do that. We don't just wanna look at someone, we want someone to look at us. We don't just wanna read your word, we want to encounter you. And so we run to no other shelter, we call on no other name, we rest in no other comfort, we cherish no other treasure, we believe in no other gospel. Lord, fix our eyes on your son, fill us with your spirit, forgive us of all of our iniquity. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.